So I found jazz in college. Prior to that, I was a punk rock girl who was a classically trained violinist and vocalist. My Italian parents raised me on a steady diet of Italian opera, but also exposed me to other music as well, lots of doo-wop and Motown. Gratefully, I was lucky enough to live in a town in New Jersey that actually took music education seriously. Therefore, I played a number of instruments, rising to be concert mistress of my high school orchestra. And of course, I was part of the chorus and some vocal ensembles when I was a soprano. Late in high school and into college, I developed a bit of a drinking problem. And one of the casualties of that problem was my voice. Somewhere in that period, I damaged my vocal cords and landed firmly in alto and even tenor territory. Hence, I needed to learn new music if I wanted to keep singing. My lack of confidence back then kept me from joining a rock band in 1989, but around that time, I happened to be seeing a not very nice person, and thus, to this day, my only positive reflection of that relationship was that he played Miles Davis for me. And thus began my love affair with jazz. Now, Miles Davis was all about the truth. Not simply a phenomenally gifted musician, a creator who pushed the boundaries of jazz every step of the way in his career, but he was also a man who saw reality, the reality of our racist, hate-filled country, and spoke about it made music about it, and said some pretty intense but deeply honest things about the problem of white people. Listening to Miles and his diverse catalog drove home, or continues to drive home, a few points for me. He was famous for saying, first you imitate, then you innovate, which any of us who have studied jazz know to be true. When I first started singing jazz, I copied Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, and Sarah Vaughan, among others. Beyond vocalists, I learned to copy a whole lot of Charlie Parker and Miles' solos thereon, etc. Learning the vocabulary then allowed me and other musicians to take risks and improvise. Which leads me to my second Miles teaching. If you hit a wrong note, it's the next note that you play that determines if it's good or bad. I know all of the musicians in the room can relate to that one. I know that when I am improvising or scatting, I'll try something, right, because it's all about risk, and almost immediately in my mind say, oh dear. And then I remember, okay, what's coming next? And if I'm paying attention, I hopefully can make it work. Now, both those ideas can be carried beyond the world of jazz, and that is why I believe jazz has life lessons for all of us. These cats, whom I admire so much, were deeply unafraid. They were not just creating new music, they were creating new worlds. They took what came before and shifted it, enhanced it, and in so doing, they were opening our ears and our minds. And if we're paying attention, our hearts. 
When I listen to Charlie Parker or John Coltrane or McCoy Tyner, Eric Dolphy, Annette Co Ornette Coleman or Alice Coltrane or the contemporary Cassandra Wilson, I sit in awe of the risks that these artists take or have taken to bring composition and interpretation and improvisation to new levels. For many of these artists, they were doing all of this pushing the envelope in a deeply racist and divided society. When you read about the history of jazz, it's actually horrifying to see how these virtuosos were treated. They would play at popular white music venues but had to enter through the back door. They didn't get a meal. They weren't offered places to stay. They were paid substandard wages. So yeah, white people could enjoy the music and the artistry, but the people making it were not given respect. And that says a lot about this country. In the words of Nina Simone, I am just one of the people who is sick of the social order, sick of the establishment, sick to my soul of it all. To me, America's society is nothing but a cancer, and it must be exposed before it can be cured. I am not the doctor to cure it. All I can do is expose the sickness. Miss Simone and other artists like her did just that. And I'm sure many of you have probably already heard the story of Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe. Ella, being the superstar that she was, could not get a gig at the Macumbo Jazz Club in West Hollywood. And here's what Ella said about it. I owe Marilyn Monroe a real debt. She personally called the owner of the Macumbo and told him she wanted me booked immediately. And if he would do it, she would take a front table every night. She told him, and it was true due to Marilyn's superstar status, that the press would go wild. The owner said yes, and Marilyn was there, front table every night. The press went overboard. After that, I never had to play a small jazz club again. She was an unusual woman, a little ahead of her times, and she didn't know it. So jazz was or is not just a musical form, but a cultural and sociological phenomenon and change agent. Jazz critic Ted Joya writes, the most powerful and forgotten aspect of music is its role as a change agent, its potential as a transformative force for individuals and groups its quasi-magical efficacy in ameliorating conditions, softening attitudes, recharging or redirecting energies, fueling or channeling emotions, its capability of purifying or refining or augmenting and making our day-to-day -day existence better than it would be otherwise. Our readings today have pointed out a few things that I want us to think about as we sit here in person and on Zoom. First, we, we recognize that jazz is a truly American art form, a blend of influences steeped in oppression, focused on creativity, resistance, innovation, and joy. 
and it is precisely the resistance and innovation that could help guide us, you use, as we try to dismantle the ills and structural violence of our society. Second, to know jazz is to listen, to truly listen, to hear the notes and the spaces, to feel what the artist is sharing, to allow yourself to be transformed by what you are hearing. And perhaps that kind of listening can guide each of us in our work for social change. And thirdly, jazz is about truth. Jazz musicians play, slay, sing, create their truth, and they have to fully embody it so others can hear it which I feel is an invitation for all of us to not just name our truths, but to live them, to embody them, and to use the big T truths we believe in as we create the beloved community we so desperately need. On a 100-degree day, many of us feel the state, feel the despair, feel despair, sorry, at the state of our country, our world, our planet, but we cannot give up. There is much work to be done, and maybe work that will be new or different to us. Maybe it will manifest through music or poetry or a different form of activism than you've ever tried before. Here's some final words of wisdom to consider once again from Miles Davis. He says, See, if you put a musician in a place where he has to do something different from what he does all the time, then he can do that, but he's got to think differently in order to do it. He's got to play above what he knows, far above it. I've always told the musicians in my band to play what they know and then play above that, because then anything can happen. And that's where great art and music happens. So may we all play above what we know. May we think differently in order to do so. May we find what inspires us to leap and act to change the world. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>